Chapter One, Part Two of Cedric the Forester by Bernard Gay Marshall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynette Calkins. Now came the king's call to his vassals, great and small, to serve in the Scottish war, and my father was gay with the thought of service under his sovereign's banner, service that might place the name and fame of Mountjoy high in his master's favor and show what manner of man and subject it was whom the gray wolf would rob of his lands a week from that morning my mother had in hand a letter brought by a courier from the king's army and bearing my father's greetings they were well on their way to the north and believed the scots would soon have reason to repent them of their folly father had been given a post in the advance guard and was in high feather over rejoining some of his comrades of earlier years on the same day and from another source we had news that the gray wolf was delayed at terramore by an illness the same that had plagued him at times since his campaigns in the holy land but that he had sent word to the king that he would overtake the banners ere they reached the scottish border at seven of the next morning i stood with old marvin by the drawbridge wheel he had seen to its lowering and a wainload of wheat from the grange at the wall-field was coming slowly into the courtyard suddenly i espied a body of horsemen approaching at a trot half a mile away at a bend on the wooded road from mannerly with pointing finger i guided the eyes of marvin and for half a minute we both stood watching the riders without a word they were soon lost behind the trees but our old archer with his hand on the wheel now shifted his looks to the road where it came out of the forest a scant bowshot below us now we could hear the hoof-beats and once again the ring of steel this could be no friendly call from our neighbouring knights and squires so early in the day besides the loyal men of the whole region were with the king's banner had the horsemen come by the terramore road our thoughts would have flown at once to the old wolf and his designs and the drawbridge had gone up in a twinkling but these came from Mannerly, and I knew well that the good lady of Mannerly had days since sent her small quota of knights and men-at-arms to Lincoln. We had not long to wonder, for now the column came from the wood at a swinging trot, and with a tall, grey-bearded knight at its head came forward swiftly toward the open gate. Marvin stayed his hand no longer. I seized the crank with him, and we swiftly turned it, we drew the bridge to a slant, halfway to the upright, and barely in time to halt those riders on the yonder side of the moat. "'I know thee, my lord Carleton,' shouted Marvin. "'What wouldst thou at Mountjoy? Dost think we keep no watch and ward?' The old wolf, for verily he was the leader of the horsemen, shouted back to us in tones that made my eardrums ache. "'Lower the bridge, varlet!' Knowst thou not I am liege lord of Mountjoy, and will hang thee higher than human if thou stayst me by so much as an instant? Lower the bridge if you would save thy carcass from the crows. Before Marvin could say aught in reply, he was thrust aside, and my mother, the lady of Mountjoy, stood by the sally-port. In a moment I stood close behind her with crossbow drawn and bolt in groove. My lord Carleton, she said and her voice was wonderfully sweet after the rasping tones that had been filling our ears. "'What dost thou hear with threescore mounted men when the king hath summoned all loyal vassals to his banner?' 
so evil a face as he made at this greeting i hope never to see again ah tis thou then kate of montmorency i have somewhat pressing business of my own to forward ere i send final answer to the king now deliver to me the keys of this my castle of mountjoy or mayhap thou wilt send yonder leather-coated varlet to act as thy champion against one of my kitchen knaves now lower thy bridge and all shall be well i will send thee and the boy there with a convoy of trusty knights to the convent of st anne if thou hast the folly to attempt to stay me i will take the place by storm thy varlets shall hang every one and thine own fate thou canst guess come now which shall it be i am not accustomed to stay long for answers traitor and hound of bedlam cried my mother in such a voice as i knew not she possessed thine own head with the grey locks thou dishonourest shall hang from my battlements ere thou gainst aught by this attack on what thou thinkest to be a defenceless woman while my lord fights for his country under the banner of the king thou sendest back lying messengers and arm thy crew for robbing him of his lands now back with all thy bloody-handed band or my crossbowmen shall see if they cannot find with their bolts the joints of your harness i give no more time to parley back with you already my crossbow was levelled at the grey beard of the leader on the other side of the moat i would make good my boast made to my father but a week since i was trembling and my hair stood up like that of a dog that meets his bitter enemy muttering a little prayer for the bolt and closing my eyes with a sudden foolish dread i pulled the trigger but my mother just then seeing my design struck up the weapon with one swift blow so that the bolt sped harmlessly over the heads of the horsemen hold thy arrows boy she commanded we cannot shoot down men at parley be they never so villainous and we shall have fighting enough ere long lord carleton made a move of defiance but he wheeled his steed and led his men down the road by which they came in the shadow of the woods they halted and the grey wolf called about him three or four knights to whom he gave hurried orders very soon his troop broke into three parties one rode to the right and another to the left while the third under the old lord's command remained opposite the main gate and drawbridge then our watchers on the battlements saw the other parties posted at points of vantage around the castle and a young squire riding at full gallop along the road to Terramore. The siege of Castle Mountjoy had begun. We passed some weary hours while the Carlton Knights gave no sign of meaning to attack. The approaches to the drawbridge are steep and rocky, and the moat is commanded by the crossbowmen from the slits in the towers and from the battlements above. I well knew that Carlton was an old and skilful soldier, even though a cruel and bloodthirsty one and it was easy to be seen that he had no mind to lose any of his armoured knights in vain attempts to reach us now and again a crossbow bolt sped from our battlements toward the besiegers and some of these rang on their helmets or breastplates but the hounds had good toledo armour and no bolt found its way to joint or visor i found none to stay me now and stood by a firing slit sending arrow after arrow at our enemies 
twice old marvin had dinted with well-aimed bolts the hauberk on which rested the long grey beard of the leader of the pack a younger knight whom i took to be ronald of eggleston seemed to beg him to take the shelter of the trees but the old wolf just shook his head with impatience and rode on from one to another of the sentry-posts at noon we could see in the edge of the wood beneath the oak branches not yet clothed with leaves leathern wallets opened and bread and meat passed around this being followed by horns of ale and skins of wine from the load of a pack-mule tethered near by then my mother aided by old dame franklin her nurse as a child and ever her faithful servitor and by me as the heir of mountjoy and the representative of my father here carried to the sentinels in the ramparts and at the arrow slits bounteous refreshments of bread and cheese and ale encouraging them the while by friendly confident words and by her dauntless demeanour in readiness for the attack which we all knew was to come marvin she said as we came near my old friend and worthy teacher of the arts of war shall we give them as good or better than they can send ay that we will lady quoth marvin with an obeisance losing the while no glance of what might be happening in the edge of the wood opposite if the wind will but ease a thought and the grey wolf take not to some shelter i will lend an arrow yet at the roots of that beard which flaunts there in the breeze like a banner for those robber hounds god speed thy bolt good marvin and thou dost that twill be as loyal a service as e'er them didst the house of mountjoy his band would not linger long to annoy us i think and that cottage in a half-dozen acres by the mill shall be thine in fee simple lady mountjoy he said with another bow i have served my lord of mountjoy and his father before him for fifty years your bounty is ever welcome but with or without it i serve while i live but hold there's the grey wolf again looking our way with hungry eyes he took long and careful aim while i who had often seen him bring down a running hare at, at a greater distance watched him with halted breath but fortune smiled not on him a gust of wind came just as he drew trigger and turned his bolt enough in the hundred and fifty yards of its flight to make it pass harmlessly to one side of our enemy old marvin made a bitter groan at this hap and stood looking at the knight with grinding teeth better luck and a quieter air next time good marvin quoth mother thou'lt wing him yet be sure and she passed to another embrasure to greet old allan the armourer who was busy with carrying fresh supplies of bolts to the archers at two o'clock a cry came down from our lookouts that reinforcements were coming for our enemies my mother and i hurried to the battlements and from there descried a motley array of a hundred or more men-at-arms archers and peasants with axes and spades tramping along the road from terramore for a moment we were frightened at what we saw here was proof indeed that the old wolf meant no hurried foray but an attack in such force as might be expected to gain the castle and the lands of mountjoy most of its proper defenders were far away marching with other loyal men under the banner of the king and now it was clear that carleton had let no man go forward from all his lands reserving all for this treacherous blow armoured knights could not swim the moat or climb up its steep sides but the carleton force was now twenty times greater than ours and the grey wolf was well skilled in all the arts of attack we had not long to wait in suspense 
the men-at-arms and the peasants turned into the wood before coming within range of our archers soon after we heard the sound of many axes before a half-hour had passed there had come from the forest a body which seemed like a part of the wood itself a hundred men ran out clad in leathern jackets or the peasants homespun and carrying no weapons save axes or poniards stuck in their belts each bearing before him a great white withbound armful of branches following these came a score with planks and beams from a little lodge in the wood which they had torn down then eight huge fellows running with a tree trimmed of its branches and carried but foremost as a battering ram this was the thing that made me quake for the safety of the castle for it was clear to all of us that if those robber beasts could fill the moat with their fascines and lumber they could swarm across force down the drawbridge and with that accursed log break down the inner gate once inside the courtyard they would hold all the castle at their mercy surrounding the churls who acted as ram-bearers and running as best they might in their heavy armour was a group of knights and squires led by the savage old greybeard of carleton last of all came a dozen crossbowmen with bows drawn and bolts in groove a half-dozen of our bolts hummed through the air at their oncoming line i was at one of the arrow-slits glad indeed of a fair chance at the carleton curs and using as best i might the good steel bow which my father had brought back from the crusade some of our first volley of bolts found their marks but most flew over their heads or buried themselves in the bundles of branches which served them well as shields with might and main we loaded and fired again this time with more effect one of my bolts felled the leader of the ram-bearers and threw his fellows into confusion but now the line was at the moat the fascines were hurled into it the planks and beams followed helter-skelter and a few of the boldest of their men-at-arms dashed out on the footing thus made now indeed our bolts began doing their work the fascines gone the leathern jackets were but the sorriest protection and at twenty to forty paces hardly a bolt failed to bring down its man we were firing as fast as we could lay the bolts in groove all their burdens were in the ditch but it was not filled enough to allow a crossing some of those who had ventured on the planks and branches became foot-caught slipped through to the water below and perished miserably like thieving rats caught and drowned in a trap of meal strewn on the water of a tub the carleton crossbowmen could do little against our stone walls pierced with narrow firing slits some of their arrows came through but none of us were injured two huge stones hurled by allen the armourer from the battlements above came down on the heads of the luckless churls in the moat and helped to scatter the scanty footing thrice more had old marvin dinted with his bolts the armour of the grey wolf who was running up and down behind his men shouting threats and orders but still the arrows failed in drawing blood two other knights were not so fortunate for bolts struck them full in the faces and they were borne from the field by their comrades in time mid curses and threats old carleton shouted an order for retreat it was none too soon for already half the homespun varlets and men-at-arms seeing no hope of reaching us and expecting any moment the fate which was falling on their comrades were on their way to the shelter of the woods the carleton crew recrossed the open ground more quickly than it had come twenty or more of their number remained behind in the ditch or on its bank 
and the battering-ram lay where its bearers had dropped it when their comrades broke and ran. Hardly had the last of them disappeared under the oaks when Marvin and Alan appeared in the moat, armed with long-handled pikes. Quickly hauling together some of the planks and beams to make a raft, they began pulling and pushing apart the rest of the matter which had been meant to form a crossing. There had not been enough of the brush and lumber for the Carlton purpose, but could they place as much more in the same spot, it might make them a footway. We who guarded them from above, and stood ready to give warning of any new attack, were able to tell them over and again that none of our enemies were showing their heads. So holpen, the old soldiers made a thorough piece of work, and in half an hour had hauled out all the planks and beams, and so scattered the brush bundles that they would be of little use to the attackers should they find stomachs for another assault. That night was a weary one for all of us. The campfires of the Carlton robbers made a kind of circle about our place, and gave us warning of how close they made the siege. My mother gave orders that half her men should lie down to sleep, though with their arms beside them, while she and Marvin often made the rounds to be sure of the watchfulness of the others. She would have me go to my bed like a very child, but I begged it as a boon to share the watch, to which prayer she most unwillingly gave ear. That night I could not have slept in the downiest of couches, e'en with the softest music of well-played lutes. There was men's work afoot, and ours were all too few. At midnight the sleepers were awakened, and the watch changed, but always we three remained on guard. The night was quiet even so, and so was the whole of the day that followed. Beyond bowshot on the open ground, we could see the groups of our enemies, and watch the sentries pacing their beats. Nearer at hand on the wooded side, we could hear from time to time the calls of men and the strokes of axes. In the afternoon, my mother found a few hours for sleep, leaving Marvin, who seemed to have no need for rest, in charge. Our old soldier and worthy lieutenant had told her that the siege might last for weeks, and that it would be folly for her to wear out her strength in its very beginning. To this good advice I made bold to add my urging. Dame Franklin had followed her mistress everywhere, bringing her food and drink when of herself she would have forgotten, and trying always to place herself between Lady Mountjoy and her enemies. The first night had been starlit, but that which now came on was cloudy and so dark that one could scarce discern an enemy at a dozen paces, and not then unless his figure were seen against the sky. None of our men were allowed to sleep, for it was felt that the Carltons might come at us again at any moment, and with much better chances for success than before. No one in the castle forgot that our enemies outnumbered us by almost a score to one, or had any doubts as to what would come to us if by force or by treachery the Grey Wolf and his pack made their way into our courtyard. Soon after midnight we heard a loud tramp and roar of footsteps in the direction of the wood. Arrows we sent haphazard toward the attack, but in the darkness these did little more than tell our enemies that the Mountjoy men were at their posts. In a moment the other side of the moat was thronged with half-seen figures. Cries of command rang out, and the waters of the ditch splashed high with the strokes of fascines, logs, and sacks of earth. Now again our archers found victims, 
but in the murk and mid the wild cries and running to fro these were but few most of our bolts struck harmlessly into the ground or the water or rang against the stones of the moat wall the frontmost of the churls who bore the brush and sacks when they had cast their loads into the ditch turned and ran back to the edge of the wood whence they presently returned with fresh supplies had it not been for the good labours of marvin and allen in moving the matter cast down in the first attack a way would soon have been laid to the foot of the drawbridge as it was our ditch was fast filling there seemed to be thousands of the burden-bearers running like imps of darkness with planks and great bundles and in the pitchy dark of that black night the fire of our garrison had no effect i was firing as fast as might be from one of the arrow slits but like the others could not tell whether any of my bolts were finding victims each moment the numbers of our enemies increased the pile of planks and brush now reached nearly to the inner wall of the moat my mother ran back and forth behind the archers carrying new supplies of missiles and shouting heartening words old marvin was hurling bolts as fast as he could load and roundly cursing the hounds of carleton and the blackness of the night that sheltered them a moment more and i could hear axes ringing against iron the bloody crew were hacking at the fastenings of the chains of the drawbridge suddenly a thought crossed my mind like a shooting star and i sprang away from my firing port mother i cried we must have light to shoot by or we're undone quick the torches throwing down my crossbow i ran into the great hall and caught up a torch from the mantel thrusting it deeply into the fireplace embers i quickly kindled it then sped up the stairs toward the battlements not for nothing is my lady mother a montmorency of the old fighting line in a trice she had understood my plan and was following me with a lighted torch close behind her came old dame franklin bearing another the three of us ran with all our might up the crooked stair and the ladders and came out on the battlements under the black sky as if the castle were all aflame the moat and the farther bank were lighted by the glare in an instant the crossbowmen found their targets among the fascine bearers and the men-at-arms who were already swarming across at once we heard their cries of rage and pain and could see corpses rolling down the bank into the muddy waters allen heaved great stones from his supply on the battlements on to the heads of the men-at-arms in the ditch who but now had been raising a shout of victory old marvin took most careful aim at a gray beard which caught the flare of light and sent forth a mighty yell of joy as the knight spun around on his heel and fell to the ground oh the crowding and shouting and tramping underfoot in the ranks of our enemies the threats and the fear and the curses our arrows kept pouring from the firing slits a younger knight caught his chief by the shoulders while another seized his legs and they bore him quickly away there was no need for any order to retreat the whole body was in headlong flight in the winking of an eye pursued by the whizzing bolts and the jeering yells of our fellows in the towers on the battlements above stood my lady mother old dame franklin and i holding aloft our flaming torches suddenly the old nurse screamed that i was hurt and indeed i now felt a most sharp pain through my shoulder where it seems had struck a bolt discharged by some carleton archer my doublet was covered with blood and i felt a most unmanly giddiness it was over in a flash but my mother pale as a ghost under the torchlight 
had seized me by one arm while dame franklin grasped the other fearing forsooth lest i fall from the battlements to the moat below between them i made my way down to the hall where they led me to a couch they all the while mumbling and weeping and forgetting our glorious victory which had all my thoughts soon old marvin had drawn the arrow and dressed the hurt with the simples he had at hand twas my first wound and truth to tell as marvin plucked the bolt away my stomach was none too well at ease and the room and all its folks swung slowly round and round yet when i heard him declare to my lady mother that the young master was now a man in his own right and a worthy son of the mountjoys i closed my eyes to the dizzying hall with its dancing armor suits and its nodding pictures of my long-dead forebears and soon slumbered well content for two hours and more i slept as one drugged when my eyes opened the hall had ceased its swinging and my mother sat by my couch and did hold my hand in both of hers as she was wont to do long long ago when i was but a child dame franklin in a chair near by did slumber deeply and with most comical groans and snores just then returned old marvin fresh from new labours in the moat he and alan had again cleared away all the contrivings of our enemies and he was in a high feather at our victory lady mountjoy he said making due obeisance we have beaten the wolf-pack full soundly the old wolf himself is sore stricken if not dead and the others will gladly crawl to their holes sir dickon will have a merry tale and true to tell my lord when he comes from the scottish war sayest thou so good marvin quoth my mother in reply dost think we have smitten them so they will give over all their evil design my word upon it lady we have beaten off all their strokes killed a score and more of their men and given to the old wolf himself some measure of his just deserts the morning will show their campfires cold and the woods and fields of mountjoy deserted by the whole wolf-pack ere three days have passed thou shalt walk abroad with thy women and without fear of any carleton lord or churl these goodly words were to me better than physic and the smile which my lady mother gave to me was a fair garden for any service soon i slept again and dreamed of riding my white mare on the banks of tarleton water on a day most fair to see but i wakened to a grey and frosty dawn and to things far other than my dreams my mother had just returned from the ramparts the besiegers were still at their posts and their campfires burned brightly she had made out messengers speeding along the road to terramore but of a breaking of the siege could see no signs around the camps of our enemies when she brought this news to me i spurned the quilted robes and the silken coverlet which she had laid over me sat up on the couch and asked for boots and crossbow she was deeply frightened at this fearing my giddiness had returned and that i knew not what i said but marvin coming into the hall just then did say that my wound was too slight a thing to keep a fighting man in his bed and thus aided i had my way and soon was on the ramparts again End of chapter 1. Recording by Lynette Calkins. Monument, Colorado.